Hello, this is Rabbi Rob Doberson, and welcome to this edition of Wrestling and Dreaming. This week's Torah portion begins with some of the most dramatic words in the entire Torah. As God says to Avram, Lech lecha me'artzcha, go from your land to the land that I will show you, and there I will make you a great nation. It's the beginning of the story of Abraham, the beginning of the story of the history of our people. We actually did meet Abraham at the end of last week's Torah portion of Noah as he and his family, including his father Terach, were journeying towards the land of Canaan, but they didn't go the, the entire route. Terach dies in Haran, and the family stays there. And it's in that context, following the story in the Torah, that God says to Abraham, in, fact, in essence, continue the journey. But now the journey is going to be for a different purpose not just better pasture land, not just as a journey of nomads, but now a spiritual journey as well to lead to the creation of this people who will in fact, according to the Torah, change the world. It's a wonderful story, but it's lacking one important piece. Why Abraham? There is no indication whatsoever within the Torah at this point, as to why Abraham deserves to be the one to be recognized by God, to come into the land, this promised land, and lead, become the, the patriarch of this people. Now, the rabbinic tradition back from the time of the Talmud, almost 2,000 years ago and in the uh, subsequent centuries, the rabbis really abhorred a vacuum in Torah stories like this. There's got to be some reason there has to be some reason why, in this particular case, Abram was chosen. And often the rabbis would use midrash. They'd look for clues within the Torah text itself and, and tell stories based upon what they see as interesting language in the story. But sometimes even that language isn't there. Even those opportunities for midrash aren't there. And in that case, the rabbis would sometimes simply tell agadot, legends, fabricated legends based upon who Abraham was to become, they told stories about Abraham's youth, the time before God calls him Lech Lecha, God calls him Lech Lecha Me'artzacha, go from your land. And they tried to imagine what God would have seen that would have made God choose Abraham. Well, I wanna share with you three of those stories very quickly, two, the first two very quickly, the third a little bit more in detail, because I think they each show something interesting and they're each in their own way, well-known stories, especially the first two. The first story is the well-known story about Abram in his father Terach's idol shop. Terach, his father was an idol maker and he sold idols. And he left Abram in charge one day and because of Abram's frustration with people who were worshiping objects which his father had just made the day before, he tells people how foolish they're being, and that, which is not good for business, obviously. And then, in fact, according to one version of the story, and this is the version that's well known, takes a hammer and breaks all of the idols except for the biggest one, puts the hammer in the hand of the, uh, the, the biggest idol. And when Abram uh, Abram's father Terah comes back and says, what happened here? Abram says, well, there was this big fight and this one 
destroyed all the other idols. And his father says, now an idol can't do that. What are you talking about? And Abraham says, you should listen to your own words. How can you worship something that, that has no power in this way as you claim it doesn't? Well, of course, the rabbis didn't necessarily understand in this particular context that sometimes people bowed down to idols as a symbol of the God who was much stronger, but we'll leave that aspect of the story out. And I want to focus on one piece of this story that people sometimes don't know because it's not in every version of the story, but it to me is the most fascinating lesson in the entire story. The people who come to Abram to buy these idols, according to one version of the story, all say the same thing. We want to purchase an idol like ourselves. There's a strong warrior who says, I need a strong warrior idol. And there's a meek widow who says, I want that smallest one on the shelf because it reflects where I am. And it's the one I can most easily identify with. And I think the rabbis tell that story in this way to draw a contrast between a principal idea in Jewish theology, which is that we seek God not to confirm where we are in life, but to help us reach a better place in life. In the Amidah, the, the, the silent prayer, we read that God raises up the lowly and, and lowers the haughty. We have the wonderful tradition that you should carry two pieces of paper with you always, one which says, I am created in the image of God, and the other which, which says, I am just dust and ashes. And depending on what you need to hear at a particular time, you take the piece of paper out that's appropriate. And similarly, instead of praying or thinking or conceiving of a God who is like ourselves, it's our goal to conceive of a God who can help complete us bring us to a better place, not mirror where we are. Second story, and this is told in different ways, including as a debate between Abraham and the local ruler Nimrod. Nimrod tries to convince Abraham to bow down to the sun, and Abraham says, in essence, well, what happens when the clouds come? And Nimrod gets frustrated. He says, then bow down to the clouds. And Abraham says, well, what happens when the wind blows the clouds away? And Nimrod says, getting more frustrated and more impatient, then bow down to the wind. And Abraham says, well, I can always put a tent up to stop the wind. And of course, it goes on and on until eventually it comes back to the sun. And Abraham's point is that the God that I recognize, the God that I want to worship is above these conflicts in nature, above this, this competition in nature where each object uh, or each element of creation is subject to being overshadowed by another element. I want to worship the God who is beyond all of this. This is Abraham the philosopher, reflecting, in fact, some of Greek philosophy as well, interestingly enough, but the idea that the, that, that you, the, you would bow down to, you would worship a God who was outside of nature, who was above all. And that's a, 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 an interesting story that Abraham in the first story is very practical. He says, These, you're, you're worshiping an idol that you made the other day. And in this story, he's more philosophical, thinking about where to find that God that he wants to worship. Well, now the third story. 
And this is my favorite one of all, and perhaps it's not as well known. And I want to read it to you, and then I want to analyze it a bit. And you might notice that I'm taking a few leaps of faith in analyzing the story. Maybe the story doesn't say everything that I want it to say, but that's good Jewish tradition. I'm interpreting the story, reflecting how I read it. Here is the story. It comes from Midrash Rabbah, Breshit Rabbah, the classic collection of rabbinic interpretation. Rabbi Isaf told the parable of a man who was traveling from place to place when he saw a mansion in flames. He wondered, is it possible that the mansion is without someone to look after it? At that moment, the owner of the mansion peered out at him and said, I am the owner of this mansion. So too, as Abraham was wondering, is it possible that the world should be without someone to look after it? The Holy One peered down at him and said, I am the world's owner. It's a great story. The parable is the man wandering sees a mansion in flames, wonders, where's the owner? And the owner peers out and says, I am the owner. And similarly, similarly, Abraham sees the world and says, there must be an owner of the world here. And God says, I am the owner. So what are we to make of this story? Well, we have to look at the parable and actually use it as a parable for Abraham. So first of all, Abraham sees the world in flames. Abraham sees the world, a world of violence, a world of, of injustice. And he says, this can't be. There has to be owner. Who is looking after the world that it has devolved into a world of flames? Now, in the, story, in the parable, it says the owner peers out. The way I envision it is that the owner peered out of the window of the mansion while it's in flames. But if you prefer, maybe the owner is standing next to the mansion. Whichever you wish, whichever, whichever you, you, you picture, the reality is that this owner cannot do anything about the flames or the owner would have put out the fire. That there must be some concept going on here of the owner of the mansion not being able to extinguish the flames. So what is that saying? That the world is in flames and God can't do anything about it? Well, maybe... The idea is that the owner couldn't do anything about it by himself, and God can't do anything about these flames alone. God needs help to put out the flames in the world. And Abraham, by noticing the flames, in essence identifies himself as a person who is sensitive to injustice, sensitive to violence, and wants the world to be a better place. Maybe many other people passed by this mansion in flames and didn't say anything. Just as so many other people just accepted the world as it was. But Abraham says, no, I, there's got to be something happening here. There's got to be somebody in charge. And when God says, I am the owner, but the world is still in flames, the deduction that we make is that God is turning to Abraham to at least help or by himself with the inspiration of God put out the flames. So Abraham in this particular case, it's not just a matter of philosophy. 
It's a matter of sensitivity to the injustice in the world. And later we're going to see Abraham stand up for the potentially innocent people in Sodom and Amorah before God destroys the cities. And we're going to see that Abraham is going to be given the responsibility to be tamim, says the Torah, to be pure, to bring a sense of justice and proper behavior to the world. Abraham is not perfect. There are a lot of things in the stories that, that show that perhaps uh, there, there are some weaknesses in his character, but they are far over, out, out, outweighed by, his, by the Torah's telling us of his search for justice and the way our tradition has developed the idea of Abraham being the first monotheist, so to speak, means the one who was intended to bring justice to the world and to put out or to begin the process of putting out the fires in the world. So three separate stories, two perhaps more theologically based in terms of Abraham trying to discover why he, the rabbis trying to identify why Abraham believed in one God and the third, and I think the most important of them, the one which shows that Abraham was chosen by God because of his sensitivity and his awareness of the needs of the world, the need to put out the fires in the world. And hopefully, the descendants of Abraham can all work together to help the owner of the mansion put the fires out once and for all. Until next time, thank you.